going to be a hot one today. So maybe it's good to look at some stories about water. Hmm? Jesus comes striding calmly over the waves in Matthew's gospel, levitating on the surface of the Sea of Galilee while the poor disciples are stuck there in the boat, straining against the oars. Walking on water was a thing in the ancient world. Not really in the Hebrew tradition. There are stories about God who makes pathways through the water. Think about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. But nothing in their tradition would have prepared Jesus' very Jewish disciples for this particular kind of theophany. In Hebrew tradition, nobody walks on water. But for the various religions that surrounded Judaism around the Mediterranean basin in the first century, Walking on water was a thing. It's how the heroes of ancient mythology would prove their divinity, right? Walking on water in the ancient world meant that you were kind of like a god, or at least godlike, had godlike powers. There's a story out of the, the Buddhist tradition in India that actually bears a striking resemblance to this gospel story. Some scholars think that Matthew might have known this Buddhist story and lifted details from it as he was writing his gospel, which is a fascinating little bit of interreligious dialogue. I'm just going to leave that out there. But the story goes, a lay brother, while going to a master, came to the edge of a river. The fairy pilot was no longer there. Driven by joyful thoughts of the Buddha, the, br the brother strode across the river, but when he was in the middle, he saw the waves, and his joyful thoughts of the Buddha weakened, and his feet began to sink. But then he evoked even stronger thoughts of the Buddha and continued across the surface of the water. The idea here, as in Matthew, is that you can do incredible things. You can work a miracle. You can become almost a kind of a god if you only learn to trust the force that sustains you, don't look down, right? Keep your focus, find your faith, easy as that. I've been working with a physical trainer for the past couple years. I went to him because I was getting ready to turn 40 and I knew that half-assing it at the gym a couple times a month was not gonna cut it in the second half of life. So I interviewed a couple trainers before I chose my guy. One of them was this Russian guy with a thick accent who asked me, like, what do you, what do you want? I was like, well, you know, I want to get fitter. I'll get a little bit stronger. I'm getting ready to turn forward. And he's like, aha, you come work with me. I whip you into shape, right? You eat what I tell you to eat. You lift what I tell you to lift. I become your God. <laughs> and I give you the body you have always dreamed of. I was thrilled. <laughs> I was like, sign me up for that. I mean, I've, just, I've got just enough of a discipline and pain fetish where that was kind of uh, an exciting invitation, right? It also felt slightly demonic, and his studio was way out in deepest Beaverton, and I knew there was no way that I could manage Highway 26 twice a day to devote myself to that kind of a program. So I found a guy whose studio is two blocks from my house. His name is Michael. He's nothing like the Russian. He's a good Lutheran boy from Chicago. He's kind, he's gentle, but he challenges me. And one of the first things that Michael had me do was pull-ups, which I have a lot of trauma around because of a bad experience in sixth grade gym class. Maybe you have a version of that experience in your life. It's a terrifying feeling, right? Hanging there from a pull-up bar. I know that my body is, like, my body is convinced in that moment that I'm dangling from a window ledge, like in a Buster Keaton film, right? That I'm going to drop to my death. And I know that if this were a life or death situation, if I, was, if I was Peter dangling over the Sea of Galilee, I would be toast in that moment. And Michael actually said this to me once as I was handing there. He said, don't look down, right? And he meant keep your focus. Keep your eyes ahead of you. Don't think about the distance between your feet and the ground. It's about six inches, buddy. <laughs> you are not hanging for your life. 
You're working out your shoulders and your back. And he said the whole point of this exercise is to get you to the place of failure. That's the whole point of resistance training, right? The whole point of this weights program I've got you on. It's to get you to fail. That's the only way you're going to get stronger. And I think faith is like that sometimes. For centuries, Christians have understood this story from Matthew, Peter trying to walk on water, as an example of what a failure of faith, failure of nerve, we might say, an example of what doubt looks like. We thought this was a story that was meant to inspire us to a greater faith. My sense is that this story just made us feel pretty guilty. We castigated Peter for looking down. I mean, this guy is the first pope, according to tradition. But in Matthew's gospel, where Peter is the central figure, he does not come off that well, right? Matthew is not interested in Peter as a, as a spiritual giant, the next leader of the faith. Mostly, Matthew presents Peter as a buffoon and as a blowhard and as a failure, right? Matthew is interested in Peter as an example of what the real life of faith looks like. And it's not about mystical success and daring do. Peter becomes our avatar in Matthew's gospel. He's the everyman. Right? He's the one that we're invited to identify with. He wants to be spectacular, and who can blame him? Look at the guy he's following. P Peter has just seen Jesus turn five loaves and two fishes into enough food to feed several thousand people. That's the crowd that Jesus is sending away at the beginning of this story. And Peter starts to wonder, as I think all of the disciples must, right? Like, could I, could I do that? And Jesus seems to promise that. In just a few chapters after this story, he'll say to Peter and the other disciples, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus has pretty high standards when it comes to the power of faith in Matthew's gospel. So it makes sense that Peter is testing the waters. I mean, literally, right? Could I do this? Could I walk on water? And he can't. Ultimately, if this is a test of his faith, he fails. He looks down, he begins to sink. Jesus has to come and save the day. And so much then, in this next line, so much depends on tone of voice, which we don't have in the text. Jesus' response to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That can be read, as it usually is, as a kind of gentle castigation, a reproach from a demanding savior who seems to ask a single-minded devotion, a kind of blind obedience from his followers. This is Jesus the Russian trainer, right? If you give yourself to me, I give you the body you've always wanted. God knows some of us respond to that kind of an invitation. I do, right? It is easier to give yourself over to a savior who demands of you and you just follow blindly. That's, that's Peter's request, right? Lord, if it's really you, command me. If it's really you, order me to come walking to you on the water. I can do it if you tell me to. I can do it if you tell me every little thing to do. If I give you all my agency, all my power, if I entrust myself to you completely, then you will show me how to do the things that you do, how to wield the power over mountain and sea. If only I trust, if only I devote myself to your program, you will give me what I want. And if that doesn't work, the fault must lie with me. I must have done it wrong. There are spiritual training programs like that, just as there are fitness instructors like that. God knows they get the results. Sometimes I wonder what my body would look like if I had gone with the Russian. You can also, I think, imagine Jesus looking into Peter's eyes with love, as I think Jesus always does. So in that sense, you of little faith, why did you doubt, is as if to say, you know, as Paul says to the church in Rome, dude, the word is very near to you. It is on your lips. It is in your heart. You of little faith can be heard as an accusation. I think it can also be heard 
as a term of affection. Because this tradition, this gospel tradition, I think is writing directly into the magical faith phenomenon, what the Hebrew tradition calls a version of idolatry, right? Which is imagining that I can be a kind of God. I can learn to do the magical, mystical, miraculous things of God. And the Bible mostly says in response to that idea, no, no, God is God. You are human. And maybe faith can inspire human beings to do incredible things. I've seen the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Maybe you have too. But the texts that surround this gospel story, Paul's writing to the Roman, the story of Elijah, I mean, even the Psalms, all of these texts say something very different. The word is very near to you, Paul says. It's already on your lips. It's already in your heart. You already know how to do this. Elijah learns in Hebrew scripture that God is not found in the fire or in the whirlwind or in the earthquake. God is not in the, the pyrotechnics and the power. That is something different. God is found in what our text calls the sound of sheer silence, the stilling of the waves, the silent depth of the sea. There's not a lot of power in silence, at least not the kind of wonder-working power that I think Peter is looking for, the kind of power that I can, I can learn to wield and control at my will. Instead, there's something harder. There's abandonment. There's emptying. There's learning how to shut up, learning simply to sit. That is the life of faith, as Jesus teaches it. It's the simplest thing, which means it's also the hardest thing, not learning to walk on water, learning how to sit still, not turning stones into bread, not throwing yourself off a mountain peak and trusting the angels to break your fall, learning how to breathe, learning how to be a human being. Maybe that is the supreme act of faith, learning how to be a human being, learning how to love my mortality and its limits and all that comes along with it, learning to love failure itself, which as my, my better trainer, Michael, has taught me, is the only way I grow. It's the only way I change. I'm up to six pull-ups, slowly but surely. Thank you. I'm pretty proud of that. For a nerdy, faggoty kid who never thought he'd be able to pull himself up by that. I mean, there's a lot of masculinity built into this. Maybe that's where this is coming from. Slowly but surely, my body is responding to the challenge. It turns out that you can do things, even in middle age, that you never thought you could do. The only way I get there is when I push my muscles to the point of failure so that they can begin to re-knit themselves back together slightly stronger than they were before. It doesn't happen in a moment. It happens gradually, day by day, week by week, year by year. Every day, a little failure that pushes me into the next moment, which it turns out is also a moment of failure. I finally realized this. If I live my life in relationship to the pull-up bar, I will never stop failing. It's gonna be failure every single time. That is the point of the exercise. I think that's true for life with Jesus too. Certainly it's true for Peter. And here's the thing, it can be such a joy to fail when I let go of this need to prove it to somebody, to my, to my trainer, to my savior, to mostly to myself, when I let go of the need that I, that I need to prove it, that I can do it on my own. Maybe this isn't really a story about a failure of faith. Maybe this is a story about what a real faith looks like. We might say a little faith, not a spectacular faith, but the kind of faith that we see embodied in Jesus. Maybe this is a story about what the life of little faith looks like, which is that you reach out your hand when you can't do it on your own. You learn how to say, Lord, save me, I am sinking. That's not doubt. That's maybe the, the most 
beautiful moment of trust that the Gospels contain. Peter never gets to walk on water, at least not that we read about. I'll probably never be a Marine knocking out pull-ups like those beasts that you see at the gym who just like keep knocking them out. I'm okay with that. I'm learning to be okay with that. I'm learning to be okay with a life of little faith and letting go of the idea that I need to be some kind of spiritual bodybuilder. I'm learning to love the mystery that somehow God made me the way that I am and that trying to be somebody different is, a, is an act of desecration. It's, it's despising the body and the person that God has made. And that's a sin in this tradition, to despise what God has made. Paul says the word is already near to you. It is on your lips. It is in your heart. So I'm learning to trust that image of Jesus, not Jesus demanding Russian trainer, but Jesus the, the gentle Midwesterner, if you like, who coaches rather than commands, who invites me, coaxes me into the most glorious failures imaginable every single day. It doesn't take a supreme act of will. All it takes is an act of little faith. And a little faith turns out to be all you need to do a pull-up. So I'll take it.